0: You probably already have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 21, and if you don't, go right ahead. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 46, finishing out chapter 21. We've been in a verse-by-verse study for almost a year now. It's been a wonderful study, and we want to continue that and finish it up. We've already covered some of the uh, scriptures, the passages, and chapters Ahead of us in chapter 23 and chapter 27, chapter 28, we've covered some chapters. So we have less to go than you think to finish out the book of Matthew. I just want to say this, that after we finish Matthew, uh, we're going to start something here that's going to happen uh, just periodically to break up the series, whatever we're in. Uh, We're going to have a a church uh, history Uh, a biographical sketch, but with a scriptural focus sermon out of some of the great church history leaders so that we can really understand the price that those before us in the faith paid in order that the truth of the word of God would be heard. And uh, we are also going to finish uh, the book of Jude, two sermons left. If you remember... We started the series out of the book of Jude right before COVID hit. And so we're going to finish it up finally. We'll have that, and that's on false teachers and how to stand, how we stand and contend for the faith. So it's going to be a good summer. We'll leave that series, and we'll go into... Uh, I believe a message from one of the chur- early church fathers. Probably, if you want to do a little background checking or studying, those of you who are Bible students, uh, look up John Hoos, H-U-S, John Hoos. and uh, that's probably who will who will we'll, uh, uh, use as our example of one who was persecuted for the truth in Scripture. and uh, And then we're going to go into a three-part series that will cover singleness, um, dating, and marriage. One week on singleness, one week on dating, and one week on marriage. And we're going to do it from the book of Ruth uh, at Vero Bible Fellowship. It's very important to us that we not just get up and I just talk to you. Uh, I have nothing to say that's of value to you. The only thing that's valuable is the book that I hold in my hand. And it's a book that I always want to have open while I'm up here. Uh, This is where truth comes from. This is where life comes from for us. Amen? This is the authority for our lives. And so from the book of Ruth, we'll look at that. But today we're in Matthew chapter 21, finishing out that chapter. And as we return to this verse-by-verse study, we find a familiar theme here. The Pharisees tried to set a trap for Jesus in the past, and now we see another trap being set, and uh, also the the religious leaders, the, the chief uh, priest, and the, the, the Jerusalem council, they're all getting in on it, trying to somehow trap Jesus. We're in the section of Matthew's gospel where Jesus uh, is about to enter uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem in his triumphal entry on the week of, of Passover, and of course by the end of the week he'll be put on the cross. So this is towards the end of the life of Christ on this earth. And, and so it kind of gives you a backdrop, a setting or a context to understand by. And today what we're looking at is the fact that they're trying to set a trap for Jesus, but because Jesus is the Son of God, uh, they trap themselves. <laughs> he, puts, he traps them in their own trap. That's pretty cool. Then Jesus gives a series of teachings here that we're going to look at on fruitfulness and, 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 and fruitlessness or unfruitfulness, And the dangers of rejecting the Son of God. So let's get started if we can, and we're going to pick up uh, following Jesus where he cleansed the temple, and uh, now all of a sudden, uh, the next day he gets up in the morning. It says in verse one, uh, as he was verse. I'm sorry, verse 18, and as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. Now, this is when Jesus has already uh, had his triumphal entry. It's the week of Passover, and things are going to happen quickly as he gets towards the middle and end of the week. But early in the week, the first thing he does after he enters, he cleanses the temple. The reason he cleansed the temple was because there were money changers who were ex- being exorbitant in their fees to the people. They were, if you want to know what the, the sin that Jesus, it really brought up a righteous indignation in him, the sin was that they were making it difficult for people to worship God. They were making it difficult for people to worship God. And this happens all the time in our day. Where, where people are trying to somehow just get to a, listen, simple and pure devotion to Christ, but they can't because of man-made religion, because of man's traditions, because of programs and policies and everything else that we set up in the church. And we make it difficult for people to simply and purely worship God. And what was happening was the people were showing up at the temple to make sacrifice during Passover. And they were coming to the temple with, if they were wealthy or if they had land, they would probably bring a lamb or they might bring uh, another animal to offer to the priest as a sacrifice for their sins. And if they were poor, they were, they were bringing in a turtle dove. And, and a lot of times, because the, during Passover, Jerusalem would swell to several million people because the Jews were coming from all over the known world to worship. Uh, it was required of a male, uh, Jewish male, to attend uh, the three feasts every year, the major feast of, of the Jews, and Passover being one of them. And so they would come, and, and, and they wouldn't be able to carry these animals long distance. So they would go ahead and just wait till they got to the city of Jerusalem and in the marketplace outside the temple, they would purchase a turtle dove if they were poor, or they might purchase a lamb, whatever it is, and they would take it with them into the temple and have it sacrificed for their sins. And as they would enter the temple, the, 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 the priest would stop them, and they would say, what, what, where are you going with that? Speaking of the animal, well, I'm going to make sacrifice to God. <laughs> not with that, you're not. That's a blemished animal. You can't possibly use that to offer sacrifice to God. That's an, that, that, that won't work. Over here at the, in the courtyard of the temple, we have tables set up, and they will give you a righteous turtle dove, a right animal to make sacrifice, an unblemished animal. And you paid, uh, you know, a dollar at the marketplace for that for, for your turtle dove but now you're going to pay $15 inside the temple court. They were hindering people from worshiping God, making it difficult. And Jesus had had enough of it. And now he the next morning arises and he's returning to the city and he's hungry and he sees a fig tree by the wayside. He went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to the, tr- to the tree, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. At the words that Jesus spoke, the, the tree withered, which is a picture to us of God speaking the world into existence before time and space he simply spoke it. God didn't have to get his hands dirty and work hard to make the earth and make the heavens and make the universe, make the galaxies, make the animal. He didn't have to do any of that. He spoke it, and it came into existence. And Jesus is here now incarnate, God who created in the beginning. Jesus is now in human form And God the Father allows him to speak to the fig tree that was fruitless. And literally in front of their eyes, the disciples saw a tree wither. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and, know, and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you hear, here, here we now have the, the point. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Let's just take a moment and break down this, this story out of the life of Christ. First of all, Jesus' cursing of the tree was a purposeful, divine object lesson. This is not some impetuous act by a fleshly human being. We're talking about God, fully man, fully God. This is not a bad thing happening here. Jesus is in full control, and it's divinely purposed by God the Father for it to happen. The reason why I say that, because as you read the story, it just doesn't seem right that Jesus would cause a tree to wither just because it didn't have fruit on it, and he's hungry. Uh, you know, we look at that from that angle and go, "Man, yeah, he's a guy, the guy, he's got a temper issue. Jesus has an anger problem." No, not at all. Listen, write this down if you're a Bible student. The fig tree is often employed in Scripture as a symbol of Israel. It's a symbol of Israel. If you want some passages to go look up on your own, Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. Look up Joel chapter 1, verse 7. And the barren fig tree often symbolizes divine judgment on Israel because of her, here it is, her spiritual unfruitfulness. Remember now, Jesus has come. And he, the Jews, were questioning him. They didn't want to believe in him. Even crowds that followed him, he said, you're following me for the the miracles that I do. You're not listening to what I'm saying. You're not seeing me as a massive crowd, as the son of God. You just see me as this great man who can do miracles, and you want to be healed. And now he comes to Jerusalem, the headquarters, the home office, And as he comes in, there's this triumphal entry, Hosanna to God in the highest. And he enters, and then he goes straight to the temple to deal with the hypocrisy and corruption in the Lord's house. And the next morning, he gets up, and he wants to eat, but the tree is barren, and he sees it as a picture of Israel herself. You have rejected me. The only way you'll have fruit As if you're in me. Did Jesus not say to his disciples later this week, in John chapter 15 it's recorded, apart from me you can do nothing. Any fruitfulness that you and I partake in as Christians, where we serve the Lord, where we serve others, where we go out and help people, don't ever bring the attention back to you. Always give Jesus all the glory for it. You help somebody changing a tire, get your hands all dirty with your white shirt on the way to work. You rolled your sleeves up. You got grease up and down your hands and your arms and whatever. And, and, and you're wiping yourself off after you finish that tire. And the lady looks at you and says, I don't know how to thank you. Thank you. You're such a good person. I, I, I just, you know, these days we just don't see very many good people like you out there. And we see people who respond to that, well, you know, you know. Oh, no, not me. No, you should say, ma'am, I'm not a good person. If it were left up to my own devices in the heart that I have, the deception of my heart, I wouldn't help you for anything other than for something in return. But the reason I help you and want nothing for it is because I was a sinner lost And Jesus Christ, the Savior, came, and he saved me from my sin. He's given me life and purpose and eternal purpose. And I want to love him back, and I want to love those that he loves. I want to love you the way Jesus loved me. He gets the glory in that, not you. Amen? Always. Always. And Israel was not doing that. They were unfruitful. Matthew 23, 37, as Jesus was coming into the city for the triumphal entry. This was just prior to entering the city. Listen. Listen what he said. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. So later in the week as he's coming back in the city, he's realizing again, just like with the fig tree, Israel has rejected God. They've rejected the Messiah. Oh, how I've prayed and I've wished and I've, I've wanted so deeply for you to turn to God, to receive Messiah. But you won't do it. You won't do it. So Jesus shows a contrast between the impotent, unfruitful fig tree and the power of prayer and the potency of faith, believing in God, which we have. We have full access to prayer. We have full access to faith. Amen? That we are to bear fruit, and not just a little fruit, much fruit, the Scripture says. Amen? Have you been bearing fruit? I mean, let's just put the rubber where the road is here. Let's just talk about this. This is a simple and pure devotion to Christ we're talking about. In the simple and pure, don't think that skips activity. It might start with faith, but it ends in action. And, and I know churches that go into big programs where we go out and we'll serve the community one day every three months or whatever it might be. And I've done that before. And I'm telling you, that's a program. You're just programming people to do something that's right. But we ought to be doing it every day. We shouldn't need a program to to compel us to love people. We should just do that every day. You run into people I don't meet. I run into people you don't meet. Everybody here has a sphere of influence. Everybody here knows somebody. And as you walk up to them and you learn of their story, it causes you to want to come near them Sometimes you want to pray with them about a matter. Can I pray with you? You seem so heavy. And they entrust you with their burden and you lift them up before the Lord. Others who need some help. They need your hands. We're not to be like Israel. It was the Good Samaritan story. The Jewish rabbi, the Jewish the Levite. They didn't get in the ditch with the man who was robbed and left for dead. They saw him in the ditch. They literally went to the other side of the road to stay away because he's unclean and I'm going to temple to serve the Lord. And I don't want to dirty myself because if I dirty myself, then I can't serve. That is a religious system. Those are the traditions of man. That's the program that we don't want at Viral Bible Fellowship. We just want to be people who are free every day to serve others and love people, to let our faith turn into action on a personal level. It doesn't mean we won't have some corporate experiences and events. I think that's good. You know, we, we, we every year, the last couple years, we've been serving uh, the, the boys at Teen Challenge for Thanksgiving Day. What a blessing that is. There's so many ways that we corporately can come alongside. We help our school here. Uh, Storm Grove Middle School. We have a fund recently. Uh, we heard Vicki Stratton share that we gave like 2,600 dollars. More. We, I don't know what the total is since we started doing that a year and a half ago, but we've given a lot of money to the school to help children who come to school. The only meal, full meal they get is when they come to school. Which this morning, Adam Grunhofer, the director of, of Teen Challenge, he and I were talking, and I said, we need to come together and pray about this Let's ask the Lord what he's up to, how we can join him. But these children have been getting these meals at school and getting clothing that they need. But what's going to happen during the summer months? The parents are still working long hours. The kids are alone. Is there something we can do? So yes, there's the place for corporate coming together and ministering to people. But that should never be the substitute for personal commitment to Christ. In a simple and pure devotion that starts in faith and ends in action. That we find ways. And you know what? We don't tell people about it. We don't run around bragging. Don't brag about it because that means you're you're making it about you. No, no, no. Just do it. Let the Lord get all the praise and glory and honor for it. Young men, you can do that every day out at Teen Challenge too. You find ways to be a blessing to to the young men around you to the staff around you. Do things without being asked. Those of you who work or are employed, make sure you're, you're very accurate in your timekeeping at work. Don't cheat. Don't come in late and mark that you were there on time. Don't leave early and say you stayed the full day. Go ahead and give what is owed. And even go ahead if you want and check out and then stay a little longer and help just because the Lord compels you. Let's be Christians in this world amen I I could literally keep going here but see the key to this whole thing Jesus makes it clear it's prayer it needs to be saturated whatever you do every day you say well I don't know what I'm going to do today I don't know who I'm going to meet so what how do I you will you rise in the morning and before you leave the house father today I give you my life Thank you for saving me. That's not a question. That's not in jeopardy. But now, Lord, each day I choose to submit myself to you. I want to be like the apostle Paul. Paul described himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He could have described himself in a lot of ways as a Christian. He he chose the worst possible picture that he could draw. When he said it, literally, if you study the the language and you really look at what the the inference is, Paul was saying that I am a bottom rower in a trireme ship. You've seen the pictures of those Greek trireme ships, three levels with little holes in the side up and down the ship, a front on that ship that's made for ramming. It's a battleship. And these little holes on both sides, but three levels, and oars come out, and the men, the slaves, would row and build up power as that ship moving forward, heavy ship, and they would ram other ships. Paul said, I want you to know that when it comes to my relationship with Jesus on a daily basis, I see myself as a bottom-level rower pulling my oar well. It's all I desire. I want to be known as a man who pulled his oar for Christ well. There's no glory in it for you. You're, listen, the heaven, in heaven, the scripture tells us when we get to heaven, if you're a Christian, you're not going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, you're saved. Okay, God already judged you through Jesus dying on the cross, and your faith in him allows you to be justified in Christ, amen? So that's not going to happen to you. But let me tell you, you will be judged. You'll be judged by the works that you did for God. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Before you were born, God already had the work he wanted you to do. That you would walk in them. And when you get to heaven, guess what's going to happen? All of your works are going to be thrown into the fire. And if there were works that you did so that people would think you were somebody special. If there were works that you did to build up your reputation. If there were works that you did out of a political minded process. If there were works that you did simply to be seen. Guess what happens? They never come out of the fire. They're burned up. You get no reward for them. So if you're running around telling people everybody what you've done and how wonderful you are, without saying it, but just you know that, oh, oh, he's so he is so special. He's so anointed. There are no great people on this earth. Only People of faith, ordinary people of faith who believe in a great God. When you see great things happening in somebody's life, it's because they're trusting God for it. And in heaven, the works that they do without being seen, the things that they did on the earth every day, talking to people, loving people, caring for people, when the Lord's in it, the Bible says that'll be put in the fire and it will come out of the fire and you'll be rewarded for it. We are to be fruitful. We're not to be like Israel. That up to this point is fruitless when it comes to believing in Jesus. Now, I want to say this about Israel. While I'm saying that, do not take me to believe that Israel somehow is now, you know, totally lost. They are not. I'm telling you right now, the Bible says in Revelation that at the end, before the Lord returns, Israel is going To have an explosive revival unlike anything the world has ever known. You take all the great revivals in the history of mankind, it won't match what's going to happen in the end. And Israel is going to believe in Jesus. Many Jews are going to be, many Jews, multitudes, the Bible says, of Jews will be saved. When the Bible speaks of 144,000, you know how the Jehovah false witness used that to say that they're the 144,000. Back in the 70s and 80s, when they'd come to our house, that's what they would say is, you know, you can be part of the 144,000. We're the ones, we're the only ones who are going to heaven. Uh, Well, then the Jehovah witness grew to a point where they had more than 144,000 people. And then they changed it. Only certain ones are going to And the reality is, the 144,000 represent 12,000 Jews from all 12 tribes that God is going to raise up in the end time and send out upon the earth to share the gospel with the Jews. That's awesome. So don't quit on Israel, don't look down on Israel. God told Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. And if you look down through history up to this day, when a nation comes against Israel, they pay for it. Israel is a small nation. They came back into a state in 1948, and I'm telling you, they're small. Palestine is enormous. Palestine has 22 states right now that surround Israel. In terms of landmass, Israel is the size of New Jersey. It's smaller than, than El Salvador. And it's surrounded by nations, by these states of Palestine that are huge. And by the way, God gave all the land that Palestine is on to Israel. But Israel's not trying to get the land back. They're not fighting to get land. When you read in the news about Israel and the the, the battle for land, it's not about land. I'll tell you what that battle's about between Palestine and Israel. It's real simple. One side wants the other side dead. That's what it's about. One side wants the other side dead. Dead. Israel has surrendered land in the past. The day after Israel became a nation, the state of Israel was born in 1948. The day, like May 19th, May 20th, they were attacked from all sides by Palestine. Let me tell you what it's like right now. If you want just current history, just... Forget about what you're hearing and reading and what people say. And please stop listening to celebrity. Have no clue what they're talking about. This is the truth. Right now, if if Palestine would lay down all their arms and say, we want peace tomorrow and the next day and all days after, there would be peace. Israel would accept that. If Israel were to lay down their arms, take down the Iron Dome, and say, no longer do we want to do anything to defend ourselves because we believe in peace and we're trusting that you will want peace as well. If they did that, the next day, Israel would cease to exist It's not about land, it's about destroying a people on the earth. Bottom line. So even though Jesus is dealing with the Jews here, he's dealing with them over the fact that they've rejected Messiah, but know that one day Israel's going to come to believe in Jesus Christ. That day's coming. Pray for that and keep supporting Israel. Why? Because God supports Israel. Even though they are fallen, even though they've rejected, I don't believe the promises are gone. And I believe one day they'll be fulfilled. I'm excited for that. The authority of Jesus questioned, verse 23. I'll move quickly here. We haven't even got to the good stuff. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people come uh, came to, up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? They've been saying that forever. But what things are they speaking of, these things? Both his public teaching, because he spoke with authority, and his miracles. This is probably a follow-up question also based on the events that happened the day before. What was that? Jesus had the authority to go in and cleanse the temple. So they're saying, by what authority? Who gave, who gave you this authority? Notice they are, they are acknowledging His indisputable authority. They're not asking, uh, what makes you think you have authority? They didn't say that to him. They know he has authority. They're asking, who gave it to you? They're not questioning that this guy's different. Okay? They just don't want to see him as God. That's all. And so... The miracles of Jesus Christ were too obvious and too numerous to be fraudulent. That's why they have to come with that question. Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. Before I answer your question, let me ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 25, the baptism of John, John the Baptist. From where did it come? Who gave John the authority to baptize? From heaven or from man? And so the Jewish leaders discussed the idea, and they came back, and they were saying, okay, if we say from heaven, then he'll say to us, why then do you not believe in him? Because he's from heaven. So we can't say that. But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd because they all believed John was a prophet, which he was. He was the final prophet of the Old Testament. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. They couldn't give an answer without indicting themselves, so then they act like they didn't know. Well, we, we, we really don't know. And look what it says. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, understand this. Jesus has already numerous times he has told the people by whose authority he would speak and he would act. The people knew it. But he didn't deal with the leaders in the same fashion. Because he knew they weren't interested in listening and hearing and being changed. They were just trying to trap him. So... The question that has to be asked, uh, how should we respond to people who try to trap us in our Christian beliefs? I'm sure it's happened to you. It's certainly happened to me a lot. In fact, I look for it to happen. I like when it happens. Some of you are like, no, I don't want it to happen. you, You should like it. You should want this to happen because it's opening the door for people to be saved. But anyway, the, you know, people will ask the questions, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to God? And my answer, I do. I don't say it arrogantly. I don't say it boastfully. I don't say it obnoxiously. I say it humbly. I do. Next question, how can you say that when there are so many other religions out there? Don't you see how that makes you sound arrogant and obstinate? Okay, let me explain something to you. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I just believe Jesus. Jesus said it. See, the world's created a Jesus that's not in the Bible. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't have to try to give your own answer. Just go ahead and hide behind Jesus. The reason you believe what you believe is because what Jesus said, not what you think or what you say. Your opinion doesn't amount to anything. But Jesus' opinion, God's opinion, that matters. Now the Holy Spirit can use it to convict them. So you're just giving them Jesus back, right? Now, you don't do it again. You're not trying to start an argument. You're doing it to win them to the Lord. So you do it with humility, but you do it. And this is exactly what Peter did when he addressed a Jerusalem council about the healing of the lame man at the temple gate. If you, Take your Bible quickly with me and turn to Acts 4, verse 8. Go ahead. Acts 4, verse 8. Acts 4, verse 8. Just quickly, let me just cover this with you. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. You're asking, I'm going to tell you. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him this man is standing before you well who got the glory in that did peter take glory did john take glory they didn't touch it they gave all the glory to jesus look at verse 11 this jesus this jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So you have Jesus saying he's the only way, the truth, and the life. And you have Peter, one of the apostles, affirming that what Jesus said is true. He's now quoting it to the Jews. Which means that that's exactly what we ought to be doing to people. You say, well, I just can't think of the scripture in the moment. Maybe because you're not in the word. Maybe because you're not spending enough time studying to know how to speak to people see be listen you're a disciple a disciple is a learner you want to learn these things so that when people speak to you you don't give your thoughts on it well here's what i've always thought who cares what you think that's the worst bible study i've ever been in was i went to a bible study one time and they read this passage and then the guy who was leading it the facilitator said so what does that mean to you and, he, and I listened as different people in the room gave different answers. Well, for me, this is what it means. Who cares what it means to you? There's only one opinion that matters. It's God's opinion. What is God saying in the text? Period. We don't need God to line up with what we think about it. We need to line up with God. Amen? Otherwise, what message do we have with a lost world? If it's just my opinion, I'm sharing with a person. No, you don't need to share. Just share Jesus. Share what Jesus said. Share what the scripture says. Hide behind the word of God. That's what I'm doing right now with you. I'm hiding behind the word. Some of you are getting a little frustrated with me right now. And I, and I just want you to know that it's okay. You Go ahead. Get frustrated. Because I'm hiding behind this. If you've got a problem with me right now, this is what you really have a problem with. If it bothers you to hear a pastor say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, if that bothers you, you've got a problem with, with God. because I'm, I'm just telling you what he says. Then he gave these parables, these two parables, the parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work on the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. So at first, the guy was like, I'm not going to do that. And then later, he's like, yeah, I'll, okay, I'll do it. And then he went to the other son and said the same and he answered I'll, I'll I'll go sir but he never went Which of these two did the will of the father Jesus is asking these religious leaders which one did the will of the father And they said the first and Jesus said to them truly I say to you the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you He's saying you just said that the first ones are the ones getting in and they rejected it first and they received and they went That's the prostitutes and tax collectors. They were sinners. But then when they heard the gospel, they came in. You heard the gospel and said you believe. But then when the gospel was presented with a Messiah, you rejected it. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So which of the two did the will of the Father? Jesus forced them to testify against themselves. The point of the parable was that doing, doing is more important than saying. You can say all the right things in church, but are you doing it? If I need to remind you, I will. Matthew chapter 7, we studied this. Verse 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord depart from me you workers of lawlessness you were simply doing perfunctory duties you were checking boxes think you were good that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about a life that is being surrendered to Christ you're a slave to Christ and now every day you get up with joy in your heart you are so appreciative of God's salvation how can I give back to others Lord how can I love them the way you love me see there's not there's, there's no legalism in that that's just freedom to love. That's, that's, a, that's a pure and simple devotion to Christ. And then he, Jesus went on in that same chapter, Matthew 7, the very next verse. He said, he said, you need to practice what I'm saying. You need to do it. All these things I'm saying in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, I need you to practice them. Because if you practice them, you're like a guy who builds a house on rock. And when the winds blow and the storm comes, the house stands. But the guy who doesn't do what I'm telling you to do, he just hears it. He even says amen in the service, but he never does it. He's like a man who builds a house on sand, and the same wind, the same storm blows in and completely destroys the house. And then Jesus put this at the end of it, and great is his fall. Why? Because he thought he was getting in, and he doesn't. The ultimate rejection. I never knew you. I never knew you. This is a serious matter, and so we need to pay attention to it. And he finishes up the parable of the tenants. Here's another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. See, the religious leaders and the leaders of the Jews, they wanted the glory. They didn't want the Messiah to get any glory. This is the heir. Come, let's, let's kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. This parable, by the way, is taken from Isaiah chapter 5. It's an Old Testament messianic prophecy. But it was also speaking of Israel in the day. This parable speaks of Israel as a vineyard and of God who is the owner who went to a faraway country expecting to receive payment as the grapes were harvested by the stewards. And when the owner sent messengers to collect, the stewards killed the messengers, just as Israel had killed the prophets that God had sent to them. So what did the owner do next in the story? Did he send a legion of soldiers and demand that the fruit be returned to the owner? No. He said, I'll send my son, capital S, And did he say, I'll send lightning to strike them down? No, he said, I'll send the light of the world to instruct them. And they still wouldn't believe. I think there's something here for us, and I think the key is that we understand that being a believer is not just saying that we believe Jesus is the Son of God. It's not just living in a a church environment where I come every weekend, I'm faithful to attend a church service. Jesus is trying to hammer home to us, just as he is the Jews in his day. He's saying, look, God's really about fruit. And if there's no fruit, the problem is in the root. And some of us need to go deep right now in the, with the Holy Spirit and allow him to reveal the hardness of our hearts the fears that keep us from opening ourselves to talk, about others with, uh, to talk about Jesus with others. There's something that's hindering. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's hypocrisy. You're playing a game with God. You come to church. You wear the part. You t- say the words. You sing the songs. But you have no desire to open yourself tomorrow to let people hear who Jesus really is. That's a root problem in your life. It's time to let the Holy Spirit reveal how wicked that heart is and then then confess your sin to him and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you fresh and allow you to serve God. I'm not talking about putting up with untruthfulness, putting up with, with wickedness. I'm talking about going into a wicked, fallen world and carrying the light of truth and sharing it lovingly with people. Never stop sharing. Never. Jesus even said this. He he knew that we would go and be persecuted, so he said, blessed are you when men revile you and speak all manner of evil against you and persecute you for my name's sake. Blessed are you. Why? Because you're in the company of the prophets. You're in the company of Jesus. You're in the company of the early church fathers. You're in the company of the apostles. They have all suffered persecution. Why should we not? And it's not looking for it. You're not trying to be persecuted. You're trying to be faithful to God. And by being faithful to God, you will be persecuted. But you're blessed. Let's close with prayer. Father, there's nothing like the blessing that comes when we know that from our heart we are being honest and truthful about our faith. Right now in the room, Lord, I, I pray that in this moment of quiet reflection, we would consider what the Spirit of the living God is speaking to us, that we would look right at the heart and realize that there's a reason why there's no fruit on the, on the tree because we're not abiding in Christ. We're, we're, we're playing a game or out of fear. We're, we're giving in to the world. We're people-pleasing. There's so many wrong reasons. So Father, strengthen your people. Make us courageous strengthen our prayer lives, that the power of prayer could be manifest in the things that we do for you. They don't save us. They just fulfill the work you've given us. Father, give us hope that when we share, even though most will reject, there are those who won't, and they'll be saved. But if we say nothing, we miss the joy of their salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless each of you. We have our elders, and some of the elders, as well as uh, prayer partners, they'll be up front. Come if you'd like to be prayed for for any matter. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Thursday night at the Bible study. And the next Two weeks we'll be out here for Bible study. Okay? God bless.